So guys, this morning we are going to continue on with our Court uh, in the Court uh, True Sermon series. Last week Andrew gave us a uh, pretty broad overview of the uh, of eschatology just in general. Um, eschatology is a hard subject because every single thing needs to be preached in one sermon uh, for you to fully understand it. Uh, today I'm going to be talking about why eschatology matters in our lives. So we're going to start off with a definition this morning of eschatology. And eschatology is the area of biblical truth and study that deals with the study of prophecy, last things, Christ's second coming, the defeat of Satan, the final and perfect judgment of Christ, the new heavens, the new earth, and the eternal fellowship of Christ and his church and how these events will take place. As Christians, we can be pessimistic about the future. Um, have you ever been so caught up and everything that's going on right now in your lives, um, that you feel like the future is just like coming unraveling. It's not hard to feel down, uncertain in these times we're living in, but we sometimes we mis we forget to stay focused on the here and now instead of focusing on the kingdom of God. Often as Christians, and I'm guilty of this myself, we can focus too much too, we can focus too much on what is currently going on in our lives. And in our daily struggles in this world that we forget what's important. Uh, the pressures that we currently face in this world are from the world, the flesh, and the devil entices us daily as believers um, to believe the world's version of the truth instead of biblical truth. Sadly, as Christians, our current life circumstances cause us to think of God's kingdom from the perspective of what is going on here now instead of focusing on God's kingdom long term. So for this, so as an example here, this past week, this past week has been crazy. Um, Catherine and I got some unexpected news, and it just, it, unexpected news on Monday, unexpected news on Tuesday, unexpected news on Wednesday, I, um, which required both of us to make some, uh, to decide to make some uh, major changes in our schedule and finances. And for one of us, it would probably result in possibly having to look at a different career path after uh, being in a certain career for 12 years. Wednesday morning, I called Andrew, who was vetting a little bit, and no more than did I get off the phone with him. My supervisor called like an hour after that, and she was like giving me some unexpected news as well. So it was just, it was a, it was a week packed full of um, unexpected stuff. Uh, change. Change is hard, change can be good, change can also be bad. We spent the better part of last week going through the what-if scenarios, what if this happens, what if that happens. Unfortunately, some circumstances are beyond our control. The one positive that came out of the unexpected news that we uh, eventually got was that um, it might free us up eventually to take a ministry position at a future point. When change occurs, we must take time to reflect on what God is doing in our lives and refocus and look beyond our present circumstances of this world and realize that this world is not our home. It's not our final destination. It's not the final destination for Christians. Eschatology should bring hope in our lives because God, because God and his promises. The Bible instructs us to look at what God has done in the past, to look at what he's doing, or to look forward in faith, and to trust in what he has promised to do in the future. Hope is an idea that should captivate our hearts and minds. Hope should soothe our emotions. Hope should shape our wants and desires for Christ. We find hope in God's promises, prophecies that have yet to be that have, that have been fulfilled, 
prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. And this helps us grow in our confidence that the Lord God is truly in control. We must remember that there is a king who is coming one day who will set all things right. A kingdom is coming in which all things will be put in their proper place. There is a new age coming in which suffering and death will be no more. We should long for the day of Christ's future appearing. Many Christians look at, this to look at the topic of eschatology as too hard to understand and study. Christians look at the scriptures and passages related to eschatology as too hard to figure out. Some Christians avoid the study of eschatology because they do not see it as being essential to their lives and how they live. Christians can struggle with understanding eschatology in the Bible because they don't understand the foreshadowing. They don't understand the illustrations. They don't understand how to interpret symbols. They don't understand how to contextualize it, which means taking what they were saying in the Bible and moving it forward to present day. They don't understand whether something um, should be read literally or figuratively. However, there are several reasons why eschatology is essential for developing a Christ-focused and well-rounded biblical view. The study of eschatology should help us answer some of our life's questions. Where did we come from? The question of our origin. Where are we heading? The question of our destiny. Why are we here? The question of our purpose and how we should live. The question of our ethics. These questions help us find meaning and purpose in life, and eschatology helps find answers. Eschatology helps us find answers to those um, questions, to questions like these. We need to understand that the Lord almost never answers the question of when for us, when things are going to happen. Um, he does give us a uh, He does give us a timeline. So God does give us signs to watch for, so that we know how to live in our lives, how to live our lives with eternal perspective now. For the kingdom. Andrew talked about this last week about, um, I think he brought up Matthew where it gives, where Jesus is talking about these are the signs that you're going to see, see before my return. But don't get, don't start worrying about it because it has to happen and the end hasn't come yet. Paul says in Romans uh, chapter 15, verse 4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us and the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. The things written in former days that Paul is referring to here is the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. Paul says they were given to us to instruct us and encourage us. The study of eschatology does not begin in Daniel or Isaiah or Revelation. It begins in the first chapters of Genesis. In Genesis, we find God's first promises given to man as a response to our rebellion and rejection of him. Our story begins in Genesis, as does our hope. Since the study of eschatology begins in the first chapters of Genesis and concludes in the last chapter of Revelation, um, as we pursue the study, we gain more of a holistic understanding of God's plans and purposes worked out in Christ through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Um, when, it, when it comes to studying eschatology from Genesis to Revelation, we must understand that there are two types of prophecy. Predictive prophecy foretells future events, what will happen, prophecies that will be fulfilled by God in the future. Forthtelling prophecy is when God speaks a word concerning the present hour about circumstances taking place. God sends a prophet like Jeremiah or Jonah to warn the people and to try to intervene. Um, in the book of Jeremiah, uh, there's a, in one of the chapters, it talks about how Jeremiah was warning Israel that judgment was coming. And there was, I believe, the other guy's name was Hananiah, 
who was, I don't know if he was an elder or what he was, but he was prophesying that good things were coming to Israel. Nothing was going to happen, and God struck him down. So, again, this hat, so again, we see God trying to intervene with Jonah. Uh, God called um, Jonah to go to Nineveh to deliver him a message. Eventually, um, Jonah repented of his, or Nineveh repented, and God delayed his judgment for a time. A little ways down the road, Nineveh would actually be destroyed. Some prophecies have, we have to understand, some prophecies only have one fulfillment, and some have dual fulfillment. Jesus fulfilled over 300 biblical prophecies related to himself in his first coming. Jesus validated the Old Testament multiple times by quoting scripture from it. Jesus, after being baptized by John and then tempted by Satan in the wilderness, returned home to Galilee filled with the Holy Spirit. And picking up in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 20, it says, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of, the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it, this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, the, the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scriptures you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus specifically tells us here, that this, was, that this prophecy was fulfilled by him. In Psalm chapter 22, verse 1, David writes, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away from me when I groan for help? David was alluding to Jesus' eventual crucifixion on the cross, and, and this prophecy was fulfilled in Matthew 27, or chapter 27, verse 46. At about 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus fulfilled this prophecy during his crucifixion on the cross. Currently, scholars and theologians suggest, and this is just, they suggest, this isn't no fixed number at this point. Um, scholars and theologians suggest that there are around 2,500 biblical prophecies in the Bible, with about 500 to 1,000 yet to be fulfilled in the last days. These prophecies are either fulfilled as we speak, they are, they are ongoing, or I should say they're fulfilling themselves as we speak right now. They are ongoing, or they're yet to be fulfilled, or they will be fulfilled in Christ's second coming. So, recently, there's been a lot of prophets, pastors, evangelists, apostles, and teachers um, prophesying worldwide on, on social media. Facebook, making videos, Facebook, YouTube, um, that Donald Trump is going to win this election. The voter fraud and corruption would be exposed in this election. Prior to the election, they were prophesying that he would sit in the White House for a second term. Now some of them are saying either they misheard from God or that Christians have not fasted and prayed enough. The same thing took place in 2016. You have the same individuals prophesying. Some said Hillary would win in a landslide and others said Trump would win. This is why we must be careful about who we listen, who we're listening to, and we've got to look into their ministries. Even though, even though they have well-known ministries, we still got to look into the people. And do they have, what's their accuracy on their predictions and uh, prophecies coming to pass? So, most of you hopefully know who Kim Clement is. 
He's a well-known prophet and worship leader who died, I think, in 2016. Um, he prophesied that um, Donald Trump would be a trumpet and that Trump would serve, serve two terms in the White House. Um, Tim did not say he would serve back-to-back -back terms. Tim's prophecy has recently come under fire due to the results of where the current election stands. Um, at no point did, it, from what I from what I listened to, at no point. So he's come under fire here recently for some of his prophecies and what um, he prophesied at one point in his life. My word of caution this morning is that God is not the only one who prophesies certain events and gets to get people's attention. Satan does too. Satan, Satan uses witches, mediums, spiritualists, and others to predict future events as well. Usually to a 60% accuracy, but never total accuracy. Satan's messages, however, fail to match the detailed biblical prophecies. They are very vague, and they do not include a call to repentance. God's prophets are almost always 100% accurate in their predictions. So we must be careful... And who, are we, and who we are listening to and the events linked to end-time prophecy must be taken to Scripture and evaluated. So when you hear these people prophesying about Trump and stuff, we got to take some of the stuff to Scripture and make sure it's lining up. So, recently the body of Christ, recently the body of Christ has been, um, again, going to social media, Facebook, YouTube, every time there's a major news headline, I... I pictured if you've ever watched Fox News, they got that blinking thing that comes on. It says late breaking news, boom, 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 or on CBS or ABC. Um, and so a lot of Christians, every time they see a headline on like ABC, CBS, or Fox News, they take the headline and start turning it into a, uh, a biblical prophecy that's been fulfilled in the Bible. Every time there's a major headline, the people of God start writing articles, making videos, starting posts on social media platforms that the rapture is imminent. Or, uh, in this case, um, about two months ago, I want to say it was now, there was a treaty that was signed between the U.S., Israel, and the United um, Emirates. Hopefully I'm saying that right. And it's uh, called the Abraham Peace Accords. Christians were going crazy that day all over social media, all over the social media platforms, saying that, peace, that the peace treaty of many talked about in the book of Daniel had just been signed and that the false prophet and the Antichrist arrival was imminent. The last time I checked, it says the covenant of many, not a few. Yes, it could eventually lead to that. It could lead to the, uh, it, that could just be the start of it. Uh, and Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 19 sums up the whole Bible story regarding future events that will take place. We have the announcement, in, ch in chapter 19, we have the announcement of the wedding of the Lamb to his bride and the defeat of Jesus' enemies at his return. Revelation uh, chapter 19, verse 10 says, Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, No, don't worship me. I am a servant of God just like you and your brothers and sisters who testify about their faith in Jesus. Worship only God for the essence of prophecy is to give a clear witness to Jesus. In Revelation chapter 19, John is instructed by the angel to write down what he has seen. The angel says to John, Worship God for the testimony about Jesus is in spirit and is the spirit of prophecy. In the same verse, just before this, the angel says that he is a fellow slave, meaning he's a fellow slave with John and the Christians, Christian slash saints, who have the testimony about Jesus. The testimony about Jesus is the truth that flows out of the gospel, the good news about Jesus. The testimony begins in the four gospels, grows in the book of Acts, and finds its fullness. 
in the letters of the New Testament. Remember what the angel said. The testimony about Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The angel was revealing the basic truth to us that all biblical prophecy was meant to find its ultimate fulfillment in and through Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24 on the, day of, uh, on the day of his resurrection, Jesus meets with two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, picking up in Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 27, says that Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Later, Jesus appears to his other disciples and instructs them. In Luke chapter 24, verse 44, then he says... When I, was, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. The inspiration that, dri that drives biblical prophecy is the testimony, the teaching about Jesus. Scripture points us to Jesus. Scripture finds its fulfillment in Jesus and what he has done and what he will do. Scripture instructs us, it encourages us, and it gives us hope through the message about Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 through 20, or 20 through 21. God chose him, it says, God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God, and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Prophecy shows us that God has a plan for this world by the foretelling of persons, places, and events hundreds of years before they were fulfilled. In, the context of, in, in this context, Scripture gives us a strong testimony to its own inspiration, and it helps us know Christ better. So eschatology, um, as we move along in eschatology, it should help us, um, it should, Christians should want to prepare the laws for judgment. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27 to 28 says, And just as each person is destined to die once, after that comes the judgment. So also Christ... So also Christ was offered once for an all time as a sacrifice to take away sins of many people. He will come again not to deal with our sins, but bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. As I look at this passage of scripture, I'm reminded of three truths this morning. Death is a certainty for all of us. We're all going to the grave at some point. Final judgment is a reality, and God's central salvation is a possibility. The Word of God tells us that after death, each one of us will face judgment. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. Today, most people are focused on the here and now. They do not worry about their last days on earth or any other days after death. This is the lie that Satan tells the lost. Satan is described as one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a, like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Satan is very successful at lying to the lost, so they think they're okay in their sins apart from Christ. The Bible tells us that everyone apart from Christ is dead in their trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 7, says, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you, you, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. 
He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us, all of us used to live in that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we're subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in his mercy, and he loved us so much, that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, we, when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. It is only by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that man is saved. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, God saved us by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. This is a gift from God. Jesus said, Andrew talked about this last week in the, um, he was talking about the parables last week. Um, Jesus tells us in the parables that the sheep and the goats will be separated. The, the sheep are the believers, the goats are the non-believers. They'll be separated on, on the day of judgment. And it's the same thing for the weeds and the tares. They'll be separated at his second coming. One of the reasons why a lot of people are not ready for judgment is that they do not know there will be a judgment. Why? Because we have not told them about the salvation and free gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. We've never told them about where they will be spending eternity after they die. Eschatology should remind Christians about Christ's second coming, which can be both good and bad. Good in that it reminds the people of God that there is an imminent end of all things with service rendered to God. Bad in that it can lead Christians to sitting in pews and on the bench in their service to God. So when we consider our great hope, the eternal blessedness of heaven, and the great need of fellow sinners, we should be motivated with greater passion for the lost souls and to use our spiritual gifts to serve both believers and non-believers. Part of serving others is through evangelism. So, I understand that it can be hard to share your faith with others, especially in our current state of culture. It takes, an, on average, eight times of sharing the gospel with someone before they respond. I understand that it can be frustrating to share the gospel with loved ones that don't respond. Recently, over the last past eight months, um, I have been sharing the gospel with a friend of mine. We talked probably every other day about Jesus. He's, uh, I would say at this point, he's an agnostic. Um, out of nowhere, he stabbed me in the back. He tried to ruin my reputation. He made false statements and claims to others about me that were not true. Unfortunately for me, I had some people that could come, come to my rescue, come to my defense and speak on my behalf and say, no, that's not the person, that, that's not the wrong that we know. In this instance, I prayed and I said, Lord, have I done everything I can do to share the gospel with this person? Or do I need to give this person more of my time? We all have that person in our life where um, they may start to drain you um, just because they're they because they're need they may need something all the time. So this person was draining me, and, the, and I I prayed and asked the Holy Spirit. I said, and the Holy Spirit said, I said, Holy Spirit, I'm I'm exhausted from this person. And I said, What do you want? What do you want from me in this situation? And the Holy Spirit responded to me and said, You've done everything that you can. You're released. Just keep praying for that person's salvation. 
And that's how we should do it when we have somebody that's draining us like that. We should pray and say, okay, Lord, you know, am I released here? Um, the example I would give would be like if you were giving somebody a car ride and you initially said, hey, I'll give you a car ride for three weeks. Your car broken down. I'll give you that car ride for three weeks to work. No problem. Not asking for any gas. But then somehow it turns into a three-month, four-month escapade where it just becomes expected. And that's, that's, a, that's a similar situation where you would have to stop and pray and say, okay, Lord, have I done everything I can do here to help this person? Eschatology should motivate Christian believers to evangelize and share the good news of the um, gospel with unbelievers. Christians should be witnessing to the lost about God's unavoidable judgment and what happens to unbelievers that refuse to put their faith in Christ and repent of their sins. Christians need to explain to unbelievers how there will be an eternal separation between them and God because they will be in hell suffering. If the lost will not receive Christ and believe, all, and believe upon all he has done and his sufficient work on the cross, they will go to hell. Um, a place of unending, unrelenting, conscious, eternal torment and punishment. That's why this should, that's why it should motivate us as Christians. We don't want our, we don't want our brothers and sisters to go there. Uh, Christians should continuously be praying for their loved ones, friends, family, and um, friends, family, co-workers who don't know Christ yet personally. Christians should continuously be looking for individuals they can disciple and mentor. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 through 14, says, Our work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. So each one of us are going to get tested in here. If what, he has, if, if what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. Paul says that the work we do for Christ and the way we serve others, um, and not the way we serve others, not ourselves, will determine our reward and eternal destiny. So I have a what-if scenario for you guys today. We're gonna, this is, we're gonna start with me. What if Jesus was standing before the congregation here this morning? So Jesus is standing right here in front of us. Um, and he started going around the room asking each person here this morning, who have you shared the gospel with in your life? And he says, friends, family, and coworkers. What if Jesus started with me this morning? So me, Ron. And he said, there's 10 people in your life that I've currently placed there and you have not shared the gospel with them yet. And he started and he's standing right here and in front of you guys, he starts naming them off one by one. Be pretty, I'd probably be pretty embarrassed this morning. What if Jesus said to me, I've placed each one of these um, people in your life to witness to them. What if Jesus moved on from me and went to Pastor Andrew? And he started right here in front of the congregation, started naming off everybody in Andrew's life that he hasn't witnessed to. And then what if he keeps going around the room and he goes to Catherine or he goes to Dwayne or he goes to Jacob over here? Pretty scary thing, right? I think I would be totally embarrassed if he was naming people off um, one by one. What if, what if we die tonight? Would you want to have that? Would you want to meet Jesus on those terms? Would you want to have that conversation with him that when he says there was 10 people in your life, if he was to say to me, Ron, there's 10 people in your life, you're going to get into heaven, but they're going to spend eternity in hell because you didn't share the gospel with them. Do you think that would motivate, want to motivate us to evangelize? When he says that 10 people are going, when he says 10 people are not going to spend eternity in heaven with him because he never witnessed, because we never witnessed him, would that motivate you to evangelize? That's what I was just talking about. In addition to, in addition to getting ourselves ready, 
Eschatology should motivate us to help others get ready too. By having a biblical understanding of eschatology, Christians will be motivated with greater passion to see the lost souls saved in the kingdom before they meet God face to face. So, people know I love the Dr. Jeremiah quote, so I got a quote from Dr. David Jeremiah here. If you don't know who he is, he's a, um, he has a show called The Turning Point. He's got a huge church. Um, he's an expiratory teacher. Um, and he says it like, and Dr. David Jeremiah says it like this. The greatest reward in heaven will be seeing those who have been influenced by your work. Um, eschatology is not a subject to be avoided, but to be studied. It helps Christians develop a full-rounded worldview. How we, the people of God, understand eschatology should impact how we live our lives now. We should learn to see heaven and spend eternity with Christ and other believers. Eschatology helps us understand what to expect from God's unfolding plans as we look forward to heaven and the blessed hope and return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? All right. Lord, Father, and we just thank you for this message today, Father God. Father, we just pray that this message has um, changed some hearts and minds this morning, Lord. Lord, we just pray as um, we leave this place today, Lord, Lord, that we will contemplate on evangelism, Lord, and those, and try to, um, and Lord, we just pray that you reveal those individuals to us that are in our life right now, Lord, who we need to um, lead to you, Father God, before that final judgment does come, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for the message today. We thank you that the Holy Spirit was present. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Somebody, everybody go evangelize somebody and be, and as Andrew would say, be productive for Jesus this week.